Kankakee Podcast is presented by Pewter Pros, Stitch Prints, and Digital World Design family of businesses, celebrating 25 years of small business ownership in Kankakee County. You can learn more at mypewterpros.com, stitchprints.com, and digitalworlddesign.com. Plus, now through March 15th, Pewter Pros is offering $50 off all refurbished laptops and desktops in store. All include one-year parts and labor warranty. So go see Pewter Pros today on Industrial Drive and Bradley. Thankful for the way these stories hold on to the lifetime we won't get back. I know these rivers carry. Hello and welcome to Kankakee Podcast, where we talk about the people and places of Kankakee County. I'm Jake Lamore, and before we get to today's wonderful guest, let's take a look at some upcoming community events. Harbor House is hosting the Kankakee County First Responders Appreciation Brunch this coming Saturday, March 11th at 10 a.m. at the College Church of Nazarene in Bourbonnet. First responders in Kankakee County are invited to enjoy a complimentary brunch, live music, guest speakers, including a blessing over first responders, fun activities, and learn more about how Harbor House can support their work. Attendees will also receive a thank you bag of goodies and be entered to win prizes. Registration information can be found at harborhousedv.org forward slash events. Tickets are also on sale right now for KVTA's Muana Jr. Show dates are March 17th through the 19th. You can get your tickets at kvta.org. There's an Alzheimer's community forum coming up on Tuesday, March 14th at the Kankakee Public Library starting at 530. It's absolutely free. You can learn more about the impact of Alzheimer's disease, risk factors, current research, and some valuable local resources here in the Kankakee area. Uh, back to some theater stuff. Limelight Theater Works Broadway Karaoke and Season Announcement event is happening March 11th at 8 p.m. at uh, Uplifted Bistro in Bradley. It's $10 admission, and that gets you one free small drink and unlimited karaoke and fun. You can get more info on the Limelight Theater Works Facebook page or their event page. We the People are presenting the Blue Gala Fundraiser March 25th at the Quality Inn on Route 50 in Bradley. Tickets are $75 for singles, $140 for couples, and all proceeds will go towards Kankakee County Police Departments for needed equipment. Tickets can be purchased in advance at the Quality Inn front desk, Candy and Cake, and Joy's Hallmark. If you would like your community event to be mentioned here on Kankakee Podcast, you can email it to me at LamoreMediaLLC at gmail.com for consideration. Now let's get to today's guest. We are joined by a Kankakee area resident who is the first African-American to start and own a cost-per-unit business solutions and performance company in America, not just in the area, but in America. That company is Hunt Services and Consulting. I'd like to give a big welcome to Jermaine Hunt Sr. Oh, thank you. Welcome to the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We'll probably end up calling you Jay, just so people, (laughs) you know, but Jay, Jermaine, either way, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So where does life begin? 
begin for Jay? Were you born here in the Kankakee area? Yes, or? I was. Okay. Yes, I was born. Matter of fact, I was born right at Riverside. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Right across the way from right here. Across, yeah. yeah. We're not so, too far. My mom is a nurse. My stepdad was a superintendent at Lorenzo Smith and Hopkins. And my dad was a, a mechanic. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, did you grow up in Hopkins then? Kind of shared. Okay. Okay. So, the beautiful thing about it, I went to school in Hopkins, but I stayed up here with my aunts and uncles most of the time. In Kankakee? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, a lot of guys that I um, I knew from Kankakee is because I spent all my summers and winter breaks here. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, not that they're super far, but still one is out in the country. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Here you got the Tri-City area and you got all this <laughs> exactly. hustling and bustling going around. So you, you're you going to Hopkins Park and then for high school, did you end up coming to Kankakee then? Or? Actually, it was St. Anne. St. Anne. Okay. Yeah. Good old St. Anne. Mm-hmm. St. Anne was, is a great school. Uh, at the time, we had the premier track team. We was really good at basketball. We had good academics. So I was going to come to Kankakee, but I felt that because of the size and I didn't go to the junior high or King or Kennedy, that it would be a different type of adjustment, especially because I, I play sports. Yeah. So Well, and your parents' address was probably in the St. Anne Area. Area, the St. Anne School District. But they did give me the option. My stepdad gave me the option of going to Bishop McNamara or Kankakee. And I just told him, no, I just finished out in St. Anne. Yeah. You know, with people I grew up with. Right. That comfort zone, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's when you got into music, though, too, right? Actually, uh, yeah. Okay, so the music (laughs) thing started. Like I said, my stepdad was a superintendent. And with that being said, I told him I was interested in music when I was in third grade. He was like, well, I... Get the music director to listen to you. <laughs> so, so with that being said, I went and we had a, a test that we had to take, and I made an A on it. And he was like, "Okay, now it's starting to get serious." So he's like, "What instrument you would like to play?" I'm like, "I want to play the tuba." He was like, "Are you serious?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, I want to play the tuba." And so. Uh, with that, I learned how to play the tuba. Uh, was it just the size of it that you were attracted to, or was it the sound? Why did you want to play the tuba? Because no one else wanted to play it. <laughs> and, you know, See, that's what makes you awesome, is is you're like, okay, no one else wants to play it? All right, I'm going to play it then. That's what I I'm going to do, yeah. And uh, with that, I won every state solo and ensemble competition that was in the state of Illinois. And uh, when I got to high school, my aunt, uh, great aunt, she is a wife of a preacher. So she played the piano. And so she taught my uncle, and it's kind of tradition that you teach somebody next generation. Sure. So he taught me the piano. So now I learned how to play the tuba and the piano. My godbrother was very good at drums. So I used to stay with him a lot. So he taught me drums. My brother played the trumpet. So I picked up how to play the trumpet from him. And then being in the brass section and the lower section, you know, you're next to the trombones and the baritone. So a friend of mine taught me how to play the trombone. <laughs> when I got to high school, I was like, uh, I want to try the baritone because I like the way it sounds. So a friend of mine, I sat next to her and she taught me the baritone. So I picked up six instruments. So, you know, you graduated from St. Anne. And then is that when you headed down to Arkansas? Arkansas. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So interesting story. My Oldest brother, he had a lot of offers for track. He was a state champion. But he's the, he's more introvert. You know, he doesn't like a lot of people around him like that. And which I understand, we quite, we're we opposite. So <laughs> You're the extrovert? Oh, yes. I love, okay. I love this. I love the spotlight. <laughs> I love it. It's not too big for me. So with that being said, he went to a small school in Arkansas, Southern Arkansas University. I went and visited him one summer, I think my junior year going to my senior year. And when I first got down there, let me tell you, it was a culture shock, okay? Coming from Illinois, where people don't speak, it's a little busier. It's, I went down there. Everyone was friendly. I thought it was a setup because I'm like, people don't speak. <laughs> <laughs> people that's not this friendly in real life. But I have to understand Southern hospitality. So when I went down there, it was beautiful. So what's like the population down there? Was it that small? Yeah, it was pretty small. It was... um. I would say a little bit bigger than moments. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it was pretty small, considering it's a college town. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Usually so college towns are, pretty big. although we've got Olivet and Bourbonnais, but Bourbonnais now like 18,000. Yeah, it grew. So it's grown yes. quite a bit. Yes. And so when I got down there, I met some fantastic people. 
and my brother was a member of Phi Beta Sigma fraternity. So a lot of his fraternity brothers at the time, before I pledged, they took me around, they showed me the ropes, and I was like, man, this is beautiful. I think I want to go to college here. I mean, I've been accepted for a, at a lot of different places, but the the conference zone again, getting to know people, getting to the point where you're familiar with everything. And then um, Southern Arkansas University, one of the big things about them, they're known for two things. Their nursing program is top tier and their business school of business is top 10 in the country. So with that, and I was going into business, I was going to take up mark, I mean, economics and marketing. So I'm like, well, why not? It got a top 10 business school. It's something I'm familiar with and I have family here. So I think it was a no brainer. Yeah. yeah, definitely a no-brainer. <laughs> so you went and majored in business and economics? Double or? major, economics and marketing with the emphasis in history. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. And it, it really gelled together because it, it gave you a bigger and broader scope of how to understand things. Because everything in life have a starting point. So you have to understand the starting point to understand where you are right now. So once you grasp the concept of why it started, how it started, what was the reason and the logic because to, to make that situation start, then you could follow the trend all the way to the point to where you are now. So yeah, it kind of ties together. Was there a specific part of history that you did major in or was it just like like an overall world, or was it like American history or world history? It was world history. It was world history. Yeah, okay. it was world history. So, I mean, a lot of things that in our school system, you know, we focus a lot on American history, but the world is much older than America. So once you start understanding the culture, their religion, their train of thought, their disciplines, it gives you a different perspective on life. You know, you get to understand a lot of things quite differently. So, yeah. Yeah. That's something I think now that you bring that up, I know when I was in high school in the 2000s, just had world history one year. Yeah. Sophomore year. And I think that was it. The other years, it was mainly focused on American history. history. Yeah. Yeah. And the teacher that I had, Mr. Sixby, I, I got to say, this guy was a genius. He made history so fun. And I know people out there listening, like, how can history be fun? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a lot of people, that, that's one reason why a lot of people listen to this podcast is for some of the more historical episodes. So, and this one is historical in some sense. In as some well. sense. Yeah, in some sense. Yeah. Dr. Sixby, he... You know, when you read history, you read about events, right? Let's just say the Daniel Shea Rebellion, the Whiskey Rebellion, the Sugar Act, you know, things like that. But then he broke it down to the point on what led to that. And when you start looking at all the dynamics and all the things that caused that, it was going to erupt sooner or later. And that's every aspect of a history moment that they teach us now. They don't teach us why and who was involved and what's the dynamics that got on there. They just say, okay, this happened. Well, why did it happen? What caused it? Was it economic? Was it religion? Was it social? What was the reasoning behind it? And once you start grasping those concepts, then you're like, oh, yeah, it was going to, yeah, it's going to end bad anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, yeah. So, yeah, he made it fun. And then in college, of course, I played football. Never played before in my life. Until college? Until college, yes. What, why did you start? Why did you think, oh, I'll, may as well start now? <laughs> okay. So, as you know, St. Anne don't have a football team. They still don't have a football team? Not that I know of. Are you no. sure? I, I haven't seen a football team in St. Anne. Well, when I was in school, it wasn't okay. a football team. So I always used to come to the high school games, and my uncle Leo was actually a coach of Eastside football. So I grew up watching football, but never had the opportunity to play. I was a really good athlete when I was in school, track, basketball. Hey, I even played soccer. So I was like, you know what? I want to try football. So when I went to college, I graduated early. So I graduated beginning of the second semester. So I spent some time down in Arkansas. And um, like I said, I met some of my brothers, fraternity brothers, before I pledged uh, when I came down the first time. And a lot of them were football players. And I said, hey, man, I want to I play football. They're like, you ever played before? I'm like, nah. <laughs> yeah, how does this work? <laughs> yeah. <I'm> like, <laughs> so literally, I was so green that they had to show me how to put shoulder pads on. Didn't know how to do it. Did, I wouldn't know how to do that either. <laughs> I didn't know how to get fitted for a helmet. I didn't know any of this stuff, right? So they asked, they asked these Donnie uh, Jackson and uh, Devlon Noble. They walked me through the process, and then we did summer training that summer. And then in, I got a choir scholarship. Now, mind you, I cannot sing. So uh, I didn't even know those existed. That's yeah, cool. In college, yeah, they, they exist. Yeah, so um, 
I can't sing, but the teacher knew I knew how to read music. And he was like, if you can carry a note, I'll give you a scholarship. So I was in his class for music appreciation. I said, well, listen, how about this? Give me an A. I don't have to come back to this class. And I joined choir with full scholarship. He like, how about I give you a B? You don't come back to class and I give you a full scholarship. Done. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, so man, I hope someone's <laughs> taking notes right now. It's all um, about negotiation and know your worth, you know, know yeah. your value, you know. So. But you say you have a nice speaking voice, so I would imagine you've probably got, you know, you could sing. No. No? Uh, n- oh, come. No. 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 I can hum. How about that? <laughs> I mean, that's a start. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a start. That's a start. I mean, they could have used you in the choir for the, could make some humming parts in there, like a humming solo, you know? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I was good. I, actually, I sung uh, second baritone, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't in the forefront. So yeah, I was but, pretty cool. But you're that. telling me you never went to choir after that, right? Oh, he I just gave you the... No, I actually went you, to you choir. Did show, you did, I did show up. up. Yeah, oh, okay. I mean, I had to keep my end of the bargain. I mean, he gave me the B and I didn't have to come back to class. So it was like, okay, yeah, I got to do it. And then uh, while I was in school, I used to like, I mean, I still like music. So I did a hip hop album back in 99, 2000. And that was the first one in the state of Arkansas. So they actually did a documentary on me. Um, releasing the first solo hip hop album, album in the state of Arkansas. Yeah, that was cool. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Man. Wow. Yeah. So every once in a while, I go to YouTube and I pull up the music. Yeah. <laughs> just, to, just to listen uh, and reminisce about those days. So, was that something you had always wanted to do, or was it just yes. when you were at college, maybe joining choir? You're like, no. oh, I'm gonna. No, actually, uh, I always wanted to do that. I was always good with. I used to write poetry when I was younger. You know, back in the day. And uh, there's obviously a lot of similarities. Yeah. And rhythmic tones and stuff like that. So, I mean, I was always good at it. And then when I went to college, I uh, I had an opportunity working with some guys. We just put it together. Did you like set up? Where did you record it? Like in your dorm room? No, no. Actually, um, weird story. So, in college, I met a couple of guys, and they was like, "Man, we produce music." And I'm like, "Yeah, right." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but then they're like, "No, actually, we do." So, I went to. He's like, we live in Louisiana, which Southern Arkansas is in Magnolia, Arkansas, which is like 15 minutes from Louisiana and like 45 minutes from Texas. It was right there in the Arklatex. So I went to his house one day and he had a nice setup. And I was like, bro, you really do music, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> yeah, like you really do this. Yeah. You do this seriously. And when I heard it, I was like, wow. I mean, they were like, man, you fit our, our music style. And I'm like, okay. Then they took me to another studio in Louisiana where I recorded at a guy named Big Jake. And he had just finished his uh, Pro Tools training. Okay. So, And this is back when Pro Tools first started. Yeah, Pro Tools, I mean, <laughs> was introduced. It was like the mid to late 90s, yes, I think, was so, when Pro Tools was coming out. Yeah. And I think I was was the first one, one, one of the first artists to ever use an album dip done by Pro Tools. Yeah. Yeah, so it was like, yeah, I was doing some trailblazing things back then, so it was like... That's cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was a cool... It was, it's, yeah, it's been a cool experience so far. Yeah, I remember, <laughs> right, I remember interviewing an artist some time in the last couple of years, and they were telling me, I think they were recording one of their albums in 98, and like in the middle of recording the album is like when Pro Tools became available, so in the... So then they like switched over <laughs> to using Pro Tools. And, yeah. Yeah. Just a life changing thing because you got to think before using the digital recording software Pro Tools, you were usually some form of tape, tape some form and of ADAT. There, right. There was <laughs> yeah, that. And was I, remember, yeah. I remember actually, I think the very first time I ever recorded was to a DAT. A DAT tape. I think yes. a DAT tape. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't the reel to reel that you think of when you think of tape, but it was like, it was almost like, like a little cassette, like, little cassette tape, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. It yeah. was, uh, the quality wasn't as clear and crisp as it was with no. digital. Yeah. And, you know, some people use Cakewalk and Fruit Loops and Sonar and things like oh, that. Oh, there's so, there's yeah, so there's many so many software. Now. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's Logic, there's which Logic, is Apple. Yes. Yeah. So, um, like I use Adobe, Adobe's uh, good too. Adobe Audition yeah. for this podcast. Yeah. So Adobe's good. Yeah. yeah so, so there's, yeah, there's so, <laughs> so many different softwares nowadays. But and it was um, kind of fun because then because I played instruments, I end up getting into producing. 
I mean, obviously, you're using like samples and beats and things no, like that. No, actually, or? I created all my songs. You did, okay, yes, with I like did. the instruments that yes. you knew how to play. Yes, okay, yes. That's and awesome. then uh, over time, I got developed like a producer here, so I was easy to just make tracks for people and just sell them to them. You know? Okay, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So then, did you ever play any shows with that <laughs> album or anything? Or you just, or oh did you yeah, just record? We, we played yeah. some shows. Uh, uh, at that time, I was one of the actually the premier artists in Arkansas. So, you know, artists from Texas and Louisiana. And at that time, you have to understand, you know, you had the Memphis sound, and then you had the Louisiana sound and the Texas sound. Arkansas didn't have one, so I brought it to the table. <laughs> so it was it was really cool, you know, to get to meet celebrities from other you know cities, and you know, just get a chance to hang out with them. A, a lot of shows with especially like the Third Coast rappers, which was like Big Mo and all those guys and Lil Kiki and things like that. So with Rec Shop Records, so uh, it was actually a fantastic experience. It was. So how far did that go for you then? Was it just pretty much a college thing and that was it? No, actually, uh, <laughs> it got pretty big, but, you know, it gets to the point where as you put so much time into it and it gets to the point where you're like, you know what, kind of outgrow it. You know, yes. I got to the point where, you know, I had children, you know, and this is fine, but you know what? It's time to do something different because I don't want them to see this lifestyle. I don't want them to think that, that you know. And want people to... wonder why their favorite music artists don't sound the same as they did 20 years ago when they first <laughs> discovered the artist. It's because people change and they don't want to do the same thing over and, and over and, and over, over again. Yeah. They don't, they're not going to write those same lyrics no. that they did at age 19 versus right. age 40. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Experience in life is different. Yeah. And, and then in the entertainment world, it's very fast. It is very, very fast. Especially now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even back then, it was it was extremely fast. And it's, it's to the point where, you know what, I had gotten older. I was in my late 20s, starting my 30s, and, I was, and it was going so fast. I was like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I just woke up one day like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. You know? You got it out of your system. Yeah. I, mean, so I had fun. Se. And it's different for everyone. Playing music from third grade until you're almost 30, it's like, bro, I done did like 25 years of this. I'm tired. I don't want to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, I'm, I'm done. So what was your name? Was it, did you go by Jay or Jermaine no, or did you have a I had a studio name? name. Yeah. You, uh, okay. Sinister. Mr. Sinister. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I like S -I -N -I -S -T -A. that. S-I-N-I-S-T-A. Yeah. And the name of the album, the first album was called State of Grace, Midwest Born and Southern Raised. So yeah, it was a uh, very... They cater to the Midwest and the South. Okay. Yeah. I can't wait to listen to that, man. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm very excited about that. So then you graduate college. What do you, is that, do you start the business no. that you're in now? No, actually, I had a record label and some studios, you know. So after school, that's what I did was full-time music. So I come home, right? A couple of factors led me back home. I didn't want to do music anymore. My grandmother was dying of Alzheimer's, and our family, we don't believe in putting our family in nursing homes and things like that. So we, we have to pull together and figure out, you know, who's going to do what time slots to make sure that she's covered 24 hours a day, which is why I'm very passionate about Alzheimer's. So uh, uh, with that, I came home. I was like, well, I need a job. I got children. And I got to be a responsible father, whether I'm there or not. I still have an obligation to make sure if I'm not that physically, financially, I can make sure they're supported. All right. So I got a job working at Del Monte. Okay. In Mantino? No. Or here in the, Kankakee. There, there was a Del... Okay. Yeah, it's a Del Monte here in Kankakee. Yeah. So I actually, when I started working there, I had the crappiest job, man, let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, I was... In Del Monte, what, that, you were talking the about fruit. the fruit. Yes. Okay. I had the crappiest job in that place, man. I mean, What seriously. was the job? Man, I was dumping fruit in a garbage trough. I, I was a janitor. I was cleaning the floors. And, okay. Um, but I, I hated that job at the time. So, so, I mean, but you know what? When you're an adult and you accept your responsibilities, you, and I tell my children this all the time, in life you do what you have to do, not what you want to do. I didn't want to do that, but I had to do it because their livelihood depend on my actions. So with that being said, that was the first job I got. And you know what? 
that was the one that was going to start making sure that they got what they needed. So, no, did I like it? No. Did I want to do it? No. But did I do it? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I so mean, I'm, I'm guessing we're... The before that though, you said you had your own label and you were running I, studios and stuff. So was, I, that just wasn't was that not lucrative? Were you not was, making a profit? Actually, I, it was making a profit, but it's more the lifestyle. I didn't want anything else okay. to do with that. Okay, I wanted to just walk away from it. What was I, the name of the label? Uh, Full Blast Entertainment. Okay, yes, As and the, that was just in the South, though. Mm-hmm. You didn't run that when oh, you were no. up here in Kankakee. When I came home, you know, a lot of people were like, "Hey, man, you know, I got out." song i want you to rec- no man i don't I'm, do it i'm done yeah i'm done it was okay. like are you serious i'm like yeah <laughs> i don't want to do it anymore because a lot of people who was just getting into it they didn't understand all the aspects and how fast that life is and all the things that you run into and when you live a fast life it's easy to get lost in the cracks you know and things happen in the music industry i mean it's not like it's a peace rally it, people actually get hurt and in some cases die in the music industry it's that serious oh sure yeah so yeah. and then you know when you start thinking about Fast life, you, you're around drugs all the time. You're around this type of environment all the time. It's, you wake up, you're like, I don't want to be around any of this. I just want to be normal. I just want to get up, go to work, and do something different with my life. I don't want to do this because, like I said, I had children. Continue down that path, I might not be here to see them to this day. I don't know. But I do know that I think what I feel and I truly believe walking away from that lifestyle actually made me a better human being. Well, so the time that you came back to the Kankakee area, you're working at Del Monte. When was when <laughs> about what time was about what year? That was, was about that? 2007, okay. 2008. So while I was working at Del Monte, it was a performance group, and this is how I I started getting into my business. It was a performance group called In Group. In Group was a performance management company, and what they did, they dealt with efficiencies. You know, so a guy named Jim Rossini was talking to. The vice president and uh, national director, and I'm coming up off lunch, and he was kind of like, you know, beating his chest, like, "Hey, what do you think about our processes?" And I was like, "Well," um, and he don't know that I went to school; he just saw a janitor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> well, he's he's doing his job by talking because they—that's yeah. part of it, right? You talk to every Everyone. department, every to see what they thought about their new processes. And after yeah. we talked, he was like, "Well, what's your name?" I'm like, um, I'm Jay. He's like, so what do you do here? You're a manager? I'm like, nah, I'm just a janitor. So, yeah. so he came on the production floor. He found me and he gave me his business card. He's like, man, give me a call, Jay. And so that call lasted about 10 years. So he taught me operations. He taught me business operations, processes, efficiencies. He taught me every aspect of, of, of business operations and management and labor management. Do you remember exactly what you told him to, to catch well, his attention? <sighs> A little bit, but it was so long ago. I I talked about the efficiencies and bodies and positions and what can make things go a little bit smoother and a little bit more fluent. And by me not being formally trained in that, they caught his attention because he was like, well, if he know this, just imagine what he could learn if he's exposed to other things and what would he grasp it? And so they had a program where they got everybody together. So (laughs) those who was able to survive the training, and it was intense, he told us, only one of you guys going to make it. And like everybody else is going to fall by the wayside because it's that intense. And when we finished that training of everything, which he, he taught us, I was the last one standing. And so it started off as the floor janitor. Then he made me a, a line worker. So At I got, Del Monte. Yeah, so I okay. got promoted. How about that? Okay, nice. <laughs> I did. Uh, then went from line worker to line lead, from line lead to sh- uh, to shift lead, from shift lead to shift manager, from shift manager to facility manager, from facility manager to performance manager, from performance manager to managing four accounts across the United States. Oh, my gosh. Right. You really climbed your way <laughs> up the ladder, man. Yeah. Then it was some help. You know, I learned some business from a, a lady named Lisa Coney. She was the VP of uh, Select Staffing at the time. And Jim Rossini, he was the VP of In Group. So I was in a we was in an account in Virginia. I was no longer at that account, so I'm driving back home. So now, mind you, In Group and Hort Services are the number one, number two performance country co- uh, companies in the country. So I worked for In Group and was formerly trained in operations in In Group. So I left In Group. I'm driving back from Virginia from my account at, at Ace, and um, a guy named Juan Espina gave me a call. 
and he was the VP of Horde Services. He's like, man, we need somebody to manage the account at Del Monte. Are you interested? And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I just lost this account over here. So, and I'm mm-hmm. like, well, how much? Like, we'll talk to financials again here. It was very lucrative. Uh, it was very lucrative. And I, I couldn't say no. So, <laughs> I mean, seriously. <laughs> and so when we talked, Juan and I became extremely close. So he, Jim Rossini was my first mentor. My second mentor was Juan Espina. And Juan taught me the business aspect of running a company. So a CPU. Yes. Well, I learned or like I learned a CPU from both companies ran CPU, but Jim taught me operations. Juan taught me business, the science of business, client relationship, contract negotiations, how to acquire clients and things like that. So he taught me a different things on how to manage a company. So Jim taught me how to run a company. Juan taught me how to manage a company. So I was thinking, I'm like, hmm, what's the chances of a person to get trained by two the two largest CPU companies in America and get trained by the go-to guys, the VPs, the EVPs? And I was thinking, I'm like, so why would I work for anybody else when I could just do this myself? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. So with that being said, I actually started my company in 2018. And a beautiful thing is Juan Ospina and Jim Rossini helped me set my company up. So they helped me get all the things lined up and they showed me how to get my business to the point where everything was taken care of. So yeah, those guys are fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That that's when you know they're they're true leaders, true yeah. just all around great guys to to want to help you out, not see you as, oh, this is competition. <laughs> exactly. You know, let's not help him, that kind of thing. You know, both those guys, they're they're very stand-up guys and they have integrity and character. And if they tell you something, they really, truly mean it. And so Jim's favorite phrase is, Jim, I'm going to make you successful kicking, cra- cr- kicking, scratching, crying, fighting, biting. You're going to be successful. <laughs> you really do go through all those things, though, all those different emotions. Yeah. The emotions. It's a roller coaster, man. <laughs> True story. I can't make this up. When I first started, my beard was actually black. and that was 20 or like you're talking like when you started your company or no when i started working with the in-group okay the pressure was so intense that my beard turned white in a matter of six to eight months because you're in search of perfection you're you're in search of trying to you know be the master of your craft and it's a lot to learn you know in school they teach you theory about business but then when you get in the real world the application is totally different Yes. I mean, they just, school just tell you the guidelines, you know, pretty much keep you out of legal trouble. <laughs> but And you're talking like in college. In college, right. right. Just, yeah. yeah, but when you come into the real world and you have to deal with all these moving parts and things like that, and it's like a different type of responsibility, it's overwhelming. It is extremely overwhelming. And you get to the point where once you grasp it or wrap your arms around it to the point where you're comfortable, that's when you start to excel. But the first few years, and it's brutal. I'm not going to lie to you. It's I believe it. And I think it's just because when you're probably going through that education in yeah. college, it's like it's kind of black and white yeah. with, with some shades of gray, maybe yeah, a that's few. True. That's true. But then once you get <laughs> into it, you're like, whoa, there's like. 2,000 shades of gray here. <laughs> like, what am I, how, what do I do with those? Exactly. Like, exactly. I don't know how to, ta- how do I take care of all these areas. different areas? And how do they connect? And yeah. how can I make sure that it's all covered? And that's why I was fortunate enough to have the two mentors that I had. I kind of want to dive into really what Hunt Services and Consulting does. And, you know, what CPU means and and that sort of thing, just kind of... CPU means cost per unit. What it is, is a fixed cost at a company to ensure that they can make maximize their profit, profitability. So let's just say um, the frozen pizza. Yeah. Let's just say you make your frozen pizza and you factor in your labor, your transportation, your yields, your, your, your raw materials and all that, right? So let's just say for that, hypothetically, it costs you a dollar to make a pizza, right? So I bring in my engineers, we do an assessment, we take a look at your processes, your operation, your setup, we look at all those aspects and we say, hey, listen, Jacob, you're paying, you're paying $1 per pizza. I can guarantee you, we can make that pizza for 90 cents, 10% cost savings. So 10% of $1, you just say, say you sell 100 million 
So your profitability from cost savings will be another 10 million, okay? So you're like, okay, I, I can make an extra 10 million here. That's fine. So we go in and we say, okay, this line is not set up correctly. Your raw materials are in the wrong area. Let's do a time study in the revolution on your belts. How long, how long does it set in the oven? Okay, you can't change that speed because you need that time. So what we're going to do is make sure that we have a good streamline. Let's make sure we remove the excess movement because movement equal time and time equal money. Your yield loss. You expect you buy 1,000 pounds of green onion. You expect to use at least 980 pounds of that. Well, right now you're only using 600. So now you got A, buy more, which costs more for your transportation, which costs more for your storage. So that's another cost. We're going to eliminate that. We're going to improve your yields. We're going to improve your your movement. We're going to improve your streamlining. And then we're going to make sure that we're going to force the throughput to the point where it's more efficient. So your efficiency right now, let's just say you're doing 70 pounds per man hour. Our goal is we're going to say, hey, you know what? He's at 70. We can save him 10% if we can incrementally get him to 85. Okay, we get you to 85. Okay, continuous improvement. So this is what we're going to do for that. Let's look at what we already improved on and let's make it better. All right. So now we're going from 85. Now we got you up to the 96, 97 percentile. I would imagine workers, when they see you walk through the door, <laughs> they must not like you too much. Oh, actually, <laughs> the workers are not the problem. It's management. Oh, really? Management. Oh, because you're you are coming in and changing something that they probably established, right? Step into the 21st century. We're going to use technology. We're going to use engineering. We're going to make sure that everything is efficient. So with that being said, the managers, of course, they try to throw you curveballs. They sit there and they do not participate. They're not. And it's like, you know what, fellas? Here's the thing. If we don't make these improvements, you're not going to have a job regardless. So, yeah, because eventually <laughs> it'll catch up it'll catch up to you. And sure, maybe it'll work for another 10 years or 20 years. Maybe, maybe what, whatever, depending on whatever your business is that you're because exactly. I'm sure you're mainly working with like manufacturing and production. But then we, yeah. do, we do some other things, but we'll touch on that later. Yeah. But yeah. So a lot of time managers don't like to see us coming. Well, the thing is, you have an outside perspective and they don't, don't. exactly. So. They That's a huge difference. They can't see the beauty of the forest because of the trees. And yeah, that's, that's, a great, <laughs> that's a great analogy. And I think it's so funny how you went from, you know, being a music artist and being a music producer to where this actually, this actually, tra- you're literally doing like the same work because that's, you just described what a music producer does. Mm-hmm. They sit down, the artist says, okay, this is my song. And the producer listens to it and it's like, yeah, you need to cut that chorus yeah, in half. Yeah. And then that last verse was horrible. It was horrible. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. lyrics don't make sense. We need to rewrite those. Yeah. And that's literally what you're doing with these production facilities or manufacturing yes. facilities. It's like the same thing, except it's not music we're dealing with. It's with product. product. Yeah. And, you know, once you're a producer, you produce. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so this is about yeah. producing efficiencies, you know, so it's a different type of music. It's more visual and, and more physical than it is audio. And with that being said, it's a, it was a unique experience because what makes our company a little different. Yes, there's consulting companies everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. There's that's consulting companies that does labor management. There's consulting companies do operation management. Or hiring. The right? hiring, things yeah. like that. You know, even operational processes and things like that would make our company different. Yeah, we offer all those services and we're the only one that offers CPU because a lot of people don't even know what that is. And the crazy thing is, uh, remember I told you I work for N-Group and Horde. Yes, so CPU model was started in the 90s by Dwayne Horde, the owner of Horde Services, and Jim Zimmerman and David Hare, the owners of Ingroup. So I actually learned the craft from the people who created the model. So that's how I end up getting into it. And if you're not part of those groups, chances are you don't know what it is and chances are you're not going to be good at it because you wouldn't understand it. It's very complex. It's a complex concept. It, it is. But it's profitable. It's very profitable. That's probably how you became the first Black-owned company to do it because exactly. there's not a lot of people doing the, the CPU model. Exactly. Okay. And that's how I became the first Black owner to get that title because, like I said, there's a lot of Black consulting everywhere. Sure. It is. But they don't 
offer the services we offer, which is CPU. And chances are they won't offer that because they don't understand how it works. So that kind of gave us an advantage. And, you know, in business, you're always looking for the edge. Oh, you know, yeah. What, what can set us apart from everyone else? Yep. So, yeah. Set you apart with someone else doing that you could do that they don't offer. Exactly. Yeah. And trust me, people have tried CPU and failed miserably. A lot of staffing agencies try it and they don't understand it. So since they don't understand it, they fail miserably and end up losing clients. Some of them do. So how does that whole CPU process work then? I mean... So you got direct hire and then you got third person hire. So direct hire is basically when you go into a company and just say, hey, listen, we'll do an assessment. We can see if we can save you money. And then we could do uh, a 10% guarantee savings, right? And some direct hires is like fine. But most larger industries work with staffing companies. So we partnered with staffing companies and we come to staff companies and say, hey, listen, let us have an agreement and we'll work the financials. We understand the financials and how we're going to split the profit. And you talk to your clients and get us in a facility. So they get us in a facility and we do a fixed cost instead of because most staffing agencies charge hourly. You know, they charge for their employees hourly. Well, we say, no, we're not charging hourly. We're going to charge you a fixed cost for everything that we produce. So that way we know we can guarantee your savings. And with that, we guarantee the staff companies be able to make their margin, their gross margin, plus more money because we're efficient. So instead of saying that we're going to charge you by hour, we charge per piece. And if we charge per piece, we're going to make sure that you're efficient. And if we're efficient, there's more you're going to get paid from those pieces. Is providing your services a very kind of like a hush-hush thing? Is that like a confidential thing? Or no. again, no. do you, yeah, I wasn't sure no, how uh, that works. You know what? We do, because of my partners, they have a huge, when I first started, like I said, I partnered with horror services. Their reputation was is huge. So when people found out, oh, okay, well, he's partnered with Horde, they was more open to it. And then when I branched out and started doing a lot of more things, they saw the quality of work that we were doing and it, our reputation grew. So it was kind of cool. And one thing that did affect us was the COVID because when you go into different places, some of them was non-essential workers. And so non-essential businesses were shut down for a while. So some of the contracts that we had, we had to avoid those because there was nothing we can do with them. And now that we're kind of post-COVID to a point, those contracts are coming back stronger, stronger, a lot stronger. So that that's a plus. How does it work with nonprofits then? Because so, that's a whole different ball game, right? If absolutely. you're between production facility and then a, a nonprofit like Still I Rise, how does that translate? So we're working with Aaron Scar, it was actually a beautiful experience because I got a chance to see another niche in Forest Consulting. So we, we worked together to, uh, for some of their grants. We could, you know, we talked about it, talked to talk through it to make sure that all the all the things was in place, the line items to make sure that the financials was in place. And then what I did, I uh, during the allotment process, I represented them. So I did the presentation and, you know, asked for the money and things like that. So that was a different aspect of, of consulting, you know. So it, it worked out fairly well. It worked out really well, you know, and that was a beautiful thing. So we end up adding another dimension to our consulting company. Okay. Because I don't think it's a consulting company that does that to that extent. And then we took on the task of helping young entrepreneurs get their companies created. You know, they come, hey, Jay, I got an idea. Okay. What do you think about this? Well, have you looked into this? No. Well, have you tried this? No. <laughs> well, listen. It's um, the coming up, coming up with a business plan, right? Business plan and making sure that everything is all is all legitimate. The name, the, the get the, getting your EIN, making sure that you get your taxes taken care of, make sure you got your lawyer in place, all those type of things. Yeah. So, so you have to have quite a few people working no. for you, or no. no, you don't. I have responsible people. Oh God, I'm so fortunate. The team that I have are so responsible and so self-starting and they go above and beyond and they're on task. And matter of fact, we had a meeting Saturday at Grapes and Hops here in Kankakee. We had a first quarter plan, you know, where we want to end up at first quarter. We finished our first quarter plan in a month. Wow. And yeah, we still got what, two months? The, the rest or of this month, month and next month. Next month, yeah. So a month and a half. Yeah. So the people that I have are so responsible. 
and they are so they are go getters, and they make sure everything. And it makes it easier for me. So when we have meetings, you know, we catch up on what all everyone's supposed to do, and it's like, okay, well, we did this, and also we did this, this, and this. Oh, really? Okay, I wasn't planning that to like, (laughs) but but you know what? Since you got it done, we can move forward with this, and we doing this, you know. So I created this company a to be extremely diverse. Other companies that I work for, especially in you know the two companies, it was mostly male dominant. In most cases, I was only African American. But then I I thought about it differently. Look, man, we live in a different time. We live in an era where women are just as, or if not more capable of doing tasks that we need. I look at different ethnic backgrounds. You know what? They're just as, if not more capable of getting things done. So let's open this up a little bit. You know, let's look at things differently. And then let's get back, let's get into more technology. Let's get into a lot of more digital things. And let's let's go ahead and use social media to our advantage. Let's go ahead and use the digital aspect as far as websites and things like that to our advantage. Let's just do it differently. I don't want the traditional business. I want to be forward thinking. You know, I want to be proactive. I don't want to be reactive because now that we're in the age that we're in at the beginning of the age of Aquarius, things are going fast. They're going very fast and you better be in tune. If not, you won't exist. So if people are interested, though, in your services, where can they go to get more information? Um, They could go to our website, www.hunt-sc.com. Or you can look us up on the internet. We're up on the Hunt Services and Consulting. You know, we're we're right there at the top of the list. Email me at jhunt at hunt-sc.com. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now I'm curious, with your background in, in economics and business mm-hmm. and history, <laughs> <clears throat> I'm curious to know, a hot topic on this podcast, it seems like a lot of times, is, is economic development mm-hmm. in... Kankakee County or the Kankakee area, but, you know, mainly the whole county, just different aspects of it. And I'm curious to hear your take on things that you think need to be done or, or what your, because I know you're kind of, I, I don't know if I read it in your bio or the the magazine article with Consciousness Magazine about there's a black renaissance. Is that what you were Yes. Saying? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I'd love to hear more about of that. Uh, I'll start from the beginning. First question, economic development. Last week, I met with the mayor. Yes. Uh, the mayor. And we sat down. We had a conversation about uh, the economic state of, of Kankakee. And one of the things that, you know, he wanted to know about my company. It was just really a good meet and greet. And so I was just telling him one of the things about this area. I remember growing up coming to Kankakee, it was businesses everywhere. It was flourishing. I mean, we're the county seat. It was kids everywhere. It was businesses. You know, the cost of living was was great. People was able to send their kids to school. I mean, it, it was beautiful. I left and went to college. I came back. It was almost like it was a ghost town. What happened? What's the root cause? The root cause could be a lot of things, but one of the root causes is financial stability in companies. A lot of companies, they don't have the financial stability because they don't know how to manage the financial responsibility to help sustain profitability. Now, how does that translate to the neighbor, to the community? So if you have a company that's not financially stable, they're going to leave or they're going to close. But if you can show them how to be financially stable, then it's economic growth. Because now that they say, hey, this is an area where you could be financially profitable at, then other companies are more open to come and say, hey, listen, maybe we could go there. Maybe we can grow there. So after talking to the mayor, you know, um, we, we had a, a very, very good conversation. And we're going to continue the conversation more and just see what we can do cohesively to grow the economic sustainability, the financial sustainability, and which in turn turns into economic growth with this city of Kankakee. The Black Renaissance, you know, I said that because I'm, I pay attention to everything. And when, you, uh, when you're a business person, you kind of got to keep your eyes open for everything, you know, your ears open, you see, because you never know where your next idea will come from. But what I am noticing is there's a lot of young African-Americans getting involved in tech, owning businesses, getting into social programs, which is, you know, to help develop the community. Now, realistically, in the 80s, we didn't have that. In the 90s, it wasn't that strong. It was strong, but it fell off in the 2000s and 2010s. But now you can see that, hey, you know what? It's coming back where people left, came back, 
gain knowledge, want to help the community as they get older. They start to see the, the effect of not being a part not providing, not assisting, not pulling up. So I think it's a beautiful thing. And I, I see the growth and development. I see the renaissance uh, where there's in mom and pop stores, going to school, getting educated. And if you look at the graduation rates, especially now for African-Americans, it's higher than it's ever been, especially the African-American woman. I think she's the highest graduating demographic in the world right now. So to see the trend that is trending in the right direction is very impressive. So yeah, with the Renaissance thing, yeah, that's that's what I was talking about. Yeah, I yeah. I agree, and I, I definitely see that too. And I I feel like it's uh it's with the black community, but it's also with I feel like the other communities, and I feel like there's a, a lot more of a, a mixture yes. happening between. All the different cultures Cultures, or all the different races. Yes. It's just really nice to see. And it's really refreshing. And it it just kind of me as as a person, it just makes me feel less anxious about when I see someone of a different race. It just makes me feel like, hey. We can talk. We could talk. (laughs) We could talk. Let's talk. We can talk. You know, one of the things that kind of force that maturation process as far as all cultures starting to come together. Of course, it's the school systems, you know, of you being around kids or whatever, but it's also the workforce. You actually spend more time with people at work than you actually do with your family. So yeah, you, isn't that you, messed up? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's right. so messed up. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, like you go you go into a situation where the workforce is a good blend of Hispanics, whites, and blacks. Well, guess what? I didn't know Pedro before. But I know the stereotypes. But I got to know him as a person. You know what? He's like a brother to me now because he kept, you know, he he kept it solid with me, and he was a good person. And I didn't know that because media have made it has villainized everybody to oppose each other. And if you actually get to talk to people, it's not that bad. It's really yes. not bad at all. I, I like to throw this out there, and I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before. I know I've said it in other. Maybe other podcasts that I've been a guest on, but I feel like it doesn't matter what source, what media source you're absorbing, whether it's social media, radio, TV, the list goes on. That whatever it is, the reporting is, is most of the time it's just a sliver of exactly. all the people that exist in the world. Exactly. And so while whatever it is, the reporting may be tragic news or maybe it's great news it's still just a small sliver of the entire world (laughs) so a snapshot of a a snapshot of a small sample size yes obviously sometimes there's a ton of those snapshots like the the big thing right now continues to be gun violence Uh, in the united states yeah not just in chicago or in our Kankakee region or whatever, it it's a whole countrywide thing. Right. But still, at the end of the day, I feel like I can still walk down the street and exchange a wonderful conversation with someone of any race. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, it's mostly approach. You know, look, if I see a person having a bad day, I'm not going to approach you aggressively. I'm going to smile and say hi. And, you know, yes. and if you feel like opening up, I'm willing to listen because that few minutes might be something that could change your trajectory of life. It's those little things that add up. And to me, that's where we can all make the biggest difference is trying to focus on as much. And this is what I do for myself or I try to strive for each day is just that whoever I interact with, Mm -hmm. try to make it as good as possible just because that's what I can do to make the world a better place. Because I don't feel like I can do much. I don't feel like I don't have much else say in the matter of when it comes to some other things. I just feel like that's, you know, if we all strive to do that, then, and it's not a new concept. I didn't invent it. You know, I don't want anyone to think, oh, well, you know, Jake thinks he created this (laughs) monumental, monumental idea, this groundbreaking idea. And it's just, I feel like that's where just who we encounter on a daily basis. If we do our best to be good to them, then that hopefully they'll do the same. Yeah, Yeah. they'll do the same thing to someone else. Absolutely. You know, one of the biggest things is willing to understand different cultures. I was taught, and this is one of the biggest things that helped me advance is what might be acceptable in your culture could be a complete insult in another culture. A friend of mine uh, was an exchange student at Southern Arkansas. And one day, one of my friends came, you know, we 
jumping each other's rooms and things like that. And he showed the sole of his foot. He's like, man, please don't do that. He's like, because in our culture, showing the sole of your foot is disrespectful. I'm like, I didn't know that. He's like, yeah. you know. And my friend, like, I, I didn't know that either. Like, that's why we always sit on our feet. And that's why we always make sure that our feet are covered. I'm curious to know, like, as being raised, well, obviously you're still a black man, but <laughs> what was your perception or what were you taught about white America or any other race in America for that matter? Oh, okay. I mean, okay, so that, that get deep. And yeah, I, I'm I, sure it does. I'm just curious what the other what the other side of the coin is, you know. I, I'm, I'm going to say a couple of factual things, uh, and then I'm going to tell you about experience I had in Arkansas, which kind of blew my mind and opened my eyes to some some things. As a black man taught in America, you're taught you have to be twice as good to get an opportunity as the worst person that's not black. That's why in a lot of black communities, those that do survive are super, super fancy. Ex, they excel. They're they're exponential. Yeah, they are extremely. They're they're exceptional. Above and beyond. Yes. And then another thing is, especially at the time I grew up, it was I was born in the seventies, grew up in the eighties and nineties. So racism was still there, very very much so. So we was taught that hey, the way you combat racism is through education. That evens the playing field. It doesn't make it completely even, but it does even it out. Because if you know what the next person knows, then they cannot manipulate you. They cannot. You know, put you in a situation where you're vulnerable because you know. And once you know, no one could take that from you. So she was a big advocate for education. I mean, she's really big for education. You, and as a black man, I was always taught, you know what, always be smart in your movements and your words and your actions. Be extremely smart because you just don't represent yourself. You represent a whole community. That is a blessing and a curse At all the same time, in yes. one. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that you... It's it's a blessing because you are going to work your butt off. Yes. Yeah. But the the curse is that you have to in order to, you know, and I I don't know, me personally I feel like that's starting to It's starting to level out. Now. It's starting it to, level starting to level up, yes. but I don't know because I'm still the <laughs> the uh the bigger Ma- the majority. Uh, major- I'm still it's in the, the majority, majority margin. Exactly. I've you know, I haven't, I didn't have to go through that. Right. So, right. but yeah, I, it, to me, it seems like it's. It's starting to balance out and you can actually see it. And which I'm very impressed uh, with, and I'm going to catch some flack for this. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm very impressed with Gen Zers. I'm Gen X, you know, and then we had the millennials and then the Gen Zers and then Gen Alphas. Yes. So the Gen Zers. And it started with the millennials. The millennials was a lot more open-minded about a lot of things because, like I said, we was Gen X. People don't know why we were called Gen X. Do you know why they was called Gen X? I don't remember the the story behind. Is it? Does it have to do with Malcolm X? Am I wrong on that? Yes. I, for some reason, I. So here's the reason why Gen X. Okay, if you look at the generation we was born in, and that was uh, the seventies, right? And and part of the eighties, part of the late sixties, like the late sixties, all seventies, and. You know, a little bit. Maybe the first year. The first year, year of the, the 80s, 80s maybe. maybe. Yeah. All right. So that was the first time in America that African-American or any minority could literally have every right that white America had. The integration of schools, education, opportunity, equality and justice. That was the first time in America that concept was ever being done. And just like a, a quadratic equation, you have to solve for X. They didn't know what we were going to be. Not just the African-Americans and Hispanics, but they didn't know how the white America would take it. So you had to solve for that. You had to, we, it was a, it was literally an equation. Our generation is the biggest social experiment in America. I mean, just seriously. I mean, it's true. I, you know, it, it didn't really dawn on me until the other day. I was, I was hearing another black man talk about integration was, he was saying it was one of the, like the worst things that could ever happen to the black community. But he was saying it in the sense of that, since the white community and the black community, everything was so separated. Mm-hmm. Everyone was so used to how their lives were. And mm-hmm. then the transition came and it was just like, it was like no one knew knew what to do with it. It was yeah. just like, it's just like this new kind of, it's like, okay, we're going to be interracial now. And then it was just like, there, it, it, there it was no, it wasn't like an ease. No. It was just like, there you go. Just do boom. it now. 
It was just like a firework yeah. just lit off, and like there it is. <laughs> and everyone's like, "Whoa! How, how, how do, do we I, act? How do we act? How do we? Yeah. How, how do, do we, we do conduct it? business? Yes. How do we?" And I think that's what he meant by it. He didn't mean it in the sense that interracial should have stayed apart. No. It should have stayed apart. I think he was just saying like it should have been a plan. It just the way it was done. <laughs> yeah. It was just like an instantaneous. Let's yeah. flip the light switch, and that's yeah. how we're doing this. <laughs> and 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 if you think about it, is it is it an easy way to integrate? I mean, because if you think about the time and this and the social frictions that was going on with the Jim Crow law, and and you start looking at the the civil rights movement and things like that, you know. And let's be honest. America doesn't have the most beautiful past when it comes to interracial relationships. I mean, it's not from the beginning of uh, from the very beginning with with, uh, you know, American or Native Americans, you know. And so it's like um, but which is what's what is impressive is because more people than not are actually making an effort to try to make things better. Now, realistically, there are some people who just don't want to see a change, and that's fine. That's their opinion, and that's the way they want to live their life. That's fine. But it's more than not who say, you know what, if we're going to move forward in this country, we better get it together because we are no longer sitting at the top of the mountain anymore. Our world is getting smaller, and guess what? The, the, the financial gap has closed. The education gap has closed. The, the, we're, we're not— the clear cut number one anymore. Yeah, we're more mixed than ever because it's easier to travel yes. more than ever. <laughs> yes. And so, and it's like when you look at countries like China and Russia and all those, they close the financial gap, the education gap, uh, the, the, the workforce gap. So we have to figure out a way either we're going to get along or we're not going to be what we're supposed to be. And we're supposed to be diverse. That was the point. The point was just because they started a certain way doesn't mean it wasn't designed to grow into something different. Understanding dynamics when it first started the concept, the concept of all men created equal to a certain point. But, but, yes. but, but, yes. but then those words, as time go on, actually came to fruition. And the concept of, you know what, now we're in a position where we have to be together. Because if, it, if we don't, we're so vulnerable as a country. And we're so vulnerable financially. We're so vulnerable education-wise. We don't. That what make America special? It was the superiority in finances. It was the superiority in, in in education. It was superiority in getting things done. Well, we don't have that superiority anymore. We're average now. This is the standard the world have caught up with us. And if we have friction amongst ourselves, especially social friction, that you, you have to understand, everybody in China is Chinese. Everybody in Russia are Russian. In America, we're the only country where it's this mix, known as Americans. And we better get it together. We really better get it together because I don't care if you're purple, green, yellow, blue. I don't care. What I care about is when push comes to shove, can I depend on you? Because yeah. when push comes to shove, you can depend on me. We got to figure this out. If something's, yeah, something's good, bad, or different, it doesn't matter because we got to move forward. And moving forward sometimes is, is cooperation on both sides. You know, on all sides, not just both. It's on all sides. We all have to cooperate. Some we have to give, do some give and take. And sometimes give you have to give more and take a lot less. And sometimes you have to take more and give less. It doesn't matter. But let's come to a, a point where we can make this thing work. Because as time go on, it's not going to get any easier. I I wholeheartedly well said. <laughs> Very well said. Well, I mean. I know we could go on forever. I know, right? This has been fantastic, <laughs> yeah, actually. We could, as always, we could go on for hours and hours. Um, but, you know, Jermaine, this has been great. I appreciate um, you having me, Jake. A couple of things um, before I go. Number one, I want to say, Jake, what's your, the service that you're providing for the Kanky County is outstanding. We need this avenue. We need the voices to be heard of the people of this city. And you created an avenue on um, which people can be heard, which actually build us together and have pride as people of this city. You know, Kankakee is a strong city. It always has been. And we need our voices to be heard. We need an avenue. We need a platform in which they can speak on and which people um, could say, hey, this is from Kankakee. I'm proud of it. A lot of people would have never known that I was the first black consultant in the United States if it wasn't for your avenue and your platform. And 
the designers that we have here, like Copious and Fly Above. Yeah, and, Fly Above It. And then you look at the companies like Still I Rise and things like this. Even to Kanky County, you know, superstars like the Jim Smith and— Oh, uh, Jimmy Smith and, and Ted uh, Peterson. Ted Peterson and, yeah. won Super Bowls from, from this area. Yeah. A lot of people never even knew that, you know? And because you brought it to the forefront, man, it's very appreciated and necessary. So first, thank you. Oh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I am extremely flattered. <laughs> I am very, very honored. Thank you. Well, it's thank easy you for the to kind say, words. It's easy to say kind words when they're the truth. I mean, <laughs> well, seriously. I mean, so that that means a lot. And for anyone who wants to reach out to me, I'll give you my information, and you could always reach us at our website, um, www.huntservices consultant.com or hunt-sc.com and we're open for business and we believe in quality work being fair being transparent and giving you the best service that we can give you and if it's something that we cannot handle we will not lead you on that's not our purpose our purpose is to make sure that we build a solid and strong partnership that can last for years so with that being said that's pretty much it you are way too kind man I'm speechless (laughs) thank you again no thank you Jake I appreciate it Now that does it for this episode of Kankakee Podcast. I'm Jake Lamore. Thank you so much for listening. We are proudly presented by Pewter Pros, Stitch Prints, and Digital World Design family of businesses celebrating 25 years of small business ownership in Kankakee County. You can learn more at mypewterpros.com, stitchprints.com, and digitalworlddesign.com. Also, a special thank you to our patrons for helping make this episode possible, including Don Geisinger, Diana Crowley, Joseph Lamont, Bill Parakis of Meineke Car Care Center, Lori Krayoch, Karen Bishop, SLS Home Inspections, Seth and Mary Berkey, Jake Lee, Jesse Arsenal, Dave Barron, Veronica Featherston, John Sullivan, Sue Hornung, Samantha Rocknowski, Lake Iverson, Travis Garcia, Jane Bostwick, Dawn Harrison, Simon Topless, Scott Wright, Carrie O'Connell, Jamie Race, Joanne Berry, Anthony Vicelli, Eric Olson, Nolan Bukowski, Natalie Flagel, Carl Earps, Jeff and Rosa Carroll, Teague Dreenan, Sandy and Steve Twait, and Rose Lucky. To become a podcast patron, go to kankakeepodcast.com, then click on the Patron tab. If you pledge $5 or more per month, you'll also hear your name announced on an episode of the podcast. There's also access to extended versions of episodes and much more. Our theme song was written and performed by Lupe Carroll and recorded by Daniel Bishop. This river carries on.